We began a Lenten sermon series last week looking at the four Gospels, looking at the last week of Jesus, Holy Week, before the cross. What is it that we see him doing? What is it we see him give uh, priority to? What do we notice in his last moments that he makes sure to accomplish before he goes to his death. Our pastors will share in this series together. So next week is Student Sunday. Uh, so Corey will be leading us uh, through that uh, sermon and teaching us more about what we see in Jesus' life. Uh, but this morning, as, as we look to this passage, we want to see what is it at, 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 the, at the last moment, what do we see in Jesus, but also too here, this question from Thomas. Let's spend a few minutes there first. I preached on Thomas from John chapter 20 last year during Lent as a witness to the resurrection. You can go there for more on Thomas. But it's interesting, sometimes we forget that he shows up in John's gospel in chapter 11 and chapter 14. We remember the doubting in, in chapter, I think, 20, but, but we forget these two instances here from Thomas, and, and it says so much to us. If you go back to John 11, uh, right before the healing of Lazarus, there in verse 8, they're all worried for Jesus. You can't go back to that area. They will stone you. They will kill you. You can't go back. But a few verses later, Jesus says, I am going. And what's Thomas's response? The one that we put doubting on all the time, what's his response about Jesus's proclamation? I am going. Verse 16, let's go with Jesus so we may die with him. Now, maybe this comes from a bad movie. I don't know this movie. I just saw an Instagram reel this week. Ben Affleck walks in a room abruptly and briskly. There's apparently his best friend or his brother on a couch, and he says, I need you to go with me right now. We're going to go hurt some people, and we can never talk about it again. And the guy looks up at him and says, whose car are we going to take? <laughs> That's the response from Thomas? They're all worried and anxious. They're going to kill you. We could be in trouble as well. That has to be racing through their minds. And Thomas says, let's go. And let's not just go. If we go, let's go and die with him. What a word. What a word for Jesus, because if, if you read there in chapter 11, John's looking back, and gospel writers will do this and say, when Jesus is talking about this, he's really talking about his own death. They didn't get it then, they get it now, but they didn't get it then. But here's Jesus not just saying, I'm going to risk and go, but he's already talking about his death, and to have somebody say, let's go, let's go. What a word and our friendships, and our families, to be able to give a word of encouragement, a, a word that we're going to stick with somebody, a word that we're going to serve somebody, to say a needed word at the right time. And I mentioned last week about the father who speaks into his son's life at his baptism right before he's tempted by the devil. I talked about how the father speaks into his son's life at the transfiguration right before Jesus makes the trek uh, to Jerusalem. But I forgot to mention this in John's gospel again. You go to chapter 12 where Jesus says, I am troubled. My soul is troubled. And then a few verses later you have him saying, I am going to be lifted up. Again, the gospel writer looking back, this is, he was talking about how he was going to die. He was going to be lifted up. All of that on Jesus' mind, and yet Jesus can say to his father at that moment, 
Did I come to be saved from this hour? But it's for this very purpose. I've come for this hour. Father, you glorify your name. And the Father speaks. A voice comes from heaven. I have glorified it. And I'm going to glorify it again. Meaning in what you're doing, I will receive glory. You will do this. You will finish your work on the cross. It's a beautiful reminder for all of us. You see it in the Father's heart for his son. You see it here in Thomas about a good and needed word. And we've got to be intentional with those. We've got to be free with those. That's back in John 11. But then in John 14, in our passage today, Sometimes we can forget about Thomas in that place asking this question, asking it after he's already seen Peter fall on his face time and time again with bad questions, pushing through any signs of inadequacy or shame or fear, even after he's heard the report of Jesus saying, get behind me, Satan, to Peter for bad questions. It's so bad, the questions by his enemies in the crowds that you get to Luke's gospel, I think 20, and at that point it says, and nobody asked him anything else. It's like, we're not even going to bring anything else to Jesus because he's just knocking down their, their arguments and their, and their accusations. And yet, when Jesus says this, in my Father's house, there's so many rooms, and I'm going to prepare, prepare that for you, and you know the way. I don't know the way. None of them knew the way. Even though he's been talking about it, I don't know the way. But they're all silent except Thomas. And Thomas presses through, as Robert prayed this, this morning, just, Lord, we have a confidence that we can come back to you with our stuff and with our hurts. And here, even with their questions, everybody's falling on their face, and yet he's going to press through and say it. Let's just admit it, men. Small group, Sunday school, In a conversation with another guy, if we're talking about spiritual things and we don't know, we shut down. We're not going to let anybody know we don't know. What's what's the phrase we hold on to? It's better to be thought a fool and remain silent than to speak up and to remove all doubt, right? And so here's Thomas. Not only has he said, I'll go and die, but he just presses through. I don't know the way. I need to know that way, that place where you're going to prepare a place for, you're going to prepare the place. And, there's, and your father says, I need to know that way. And if you're going there, I need to know how I can get there. Lent is a time of repentance and self-examination where we ask the Lord again, Lord, if there's, I pray all of us have, have known Jesus Christ who's made a way for us through his cross because that's where he's going. After these special intimate moments with these disciples in John 13 through 17, he goes to pray, he goes to be arrested, and then it's the cross. That, that, he has made the way for us, and I pray we all know that, him as the way to the Father. It's only through his cross, but also just seeing God's patience, Jesus's patience with Thomas to allow him to ask this question for you and I to push through and bring to God whatever questions we have. And he'll meet us there. He'll give an answer. You can ask Job about that and Jonah and David. But, but to bring, bring whatever you're struggling with, and it's just like Jesus, to share a word. Okay, what do we see here? 
about Jesus in really one of his last acts. We're going to have a few conversations here in 14 through 16, then the high priestly prayer in 17. What do we get in this kind of behind-the-scenes moment with Jesus with these disciples? Ultimately, we're reminded again that he is the way. This is, theologians talk about, this is scandalous talk to begin to say, to rightly say, it is Jesus who is the way. It's it's the way the Greek is written there. You've heard preachers in Sunday schools talk about it. But when it talks about him as the way and him as the truth and him as the life, it's very particular that the word the is there. He's not a way for us to find the Lord. He is not a great, oh, just the depths of his truth. Great teaching there. Or, hey, if you want to experience life, you might want to try Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through him. Scandalous to many. But he is the way. And he is, in the context of John's gospel, he is the Lamb of God. And it's only through him, as the blood of the Passover lamb covered the doors so that death passed over. It's only through him that you and I can have death be defeated in our lives because of the blood of the Lamb of God for us. Or as John sets it up beautifully, and I think you go to chapter um, uh, 19 later, he doubles down on that when he makes mention of when Christ is about to be crucified, it's the time, and they're preparing for the Passover, meaning that when Jesus Christ is dying, it's the beginning of the sacrifice of the Paschal lambs. As they are being killed, the Lamb of God is dying uh, for us. He is the way. And that's, that's the question of Thomas, and that's what we glory in today, that Jesus Christ is the way. But I want us to take a few minutes uh, this morning to look at a particular ministry of Jesus. It's a ministry we see in his life throughout his public ministry, but especially when he has, as Luke says, set his face to go to Jerusalem and die for us. This, this ministry really ramps up, and especially in these last few minutes and in John 14. And it's this ministry of preparation. The importance of, of, of not just Jesus, but for us as his people, of, of doing that work to make sure those who we love are prepared for whatever is Next, we watch his life, and he's been very careful with this critical ministry. He knows it's the hour. If you go back a chapter, John 13, he knows it's his hour. You remember in John chapter 2, he says to his mother at the wedding of Cana of Galilee, it's not my hour yet. You want me to start this because it's not my hour, meaning my hour is the cross. Once we do this miracle, my public ministry starts, and it's a countdown for that hour when I will give myself uh, for others. I had the opportunity this past Wednesday uh, to go preach for another church. They had asked me to come be a part of their Lenten series. And I happened to mention or, or share a part of John 14 and 13 about Jesus knew it was his hour, meaning it was his time to die. And he was very clear uh, about that. And I told the story, and I've told it here before, of a a young man who was a Muslim who was going to an underground church that we support through some of our uh, uh, missionaries that we support. And uh, if you say yes to Christ in that culture, for the American missionaries there, probably the, 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 the worst thing would be they'd be deported. Uh, but, but for there, people who say yes to Christ, 
You could lose a job. Uh, a particular woman in their uh, community is routinely was being hit by family members. And the first time this young Muslim man who was visiting the underground church says, I'm going to make a profession of faith. Jesus is the way, he's the truth, life. I'm going to make a profession of faith. And right before he does that, the police come into the underground church. And they say, who's a Christian? That's an amazing way to make your profession of faith when he raises his hand and says, me. So I was telling them that story. And after the service was over, it talked about the hour. Jesus knew it was the hour, and he was saying, it's my time. I'm volitionally giving myself. This is John, John 12. This is why I've come. A, a man came up to me. He says, I want to tell you a story about the hour. Because uh, I held on to John 14 when I was a prisoner of war. It was me and eight guys. And they would do things to us. And there was only like two of us who were Christian out of the eight guys. But I'm remembering one night I'm holding on to John 14 because it's, it's us eight. There's a table with a weapon on it and uh, several of their officers. And they begin to flash that weapon in my face and say, it's over for you. It's over for you. And he's just holding on to John 14. In my father's house, there are many mansions. He is the way, the truth. He's the way. And I'm holding on to, I'm holding on to him. And he says, after a long season of that, but just that moment of him holding on to Jesus, the way, the truth, the life. He says, when I left that camp, when they took us out, seven out of the eight were believers. He did not bend or break because the one who knew it was his hour did not bend or break when it was his hour. And I can stand up. And I can face what I have to face. You can face what you have to face because Jesus says in John 13, knowing that his hour has come, and he just does for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. He says, I held on to that. He says, Barry, not only were seven out of eight saved, one of the guards came to Christ. And then he said, I got a letter about five, ten years ago, the eighth guy. Well, you need to know this, Ronnie. I finally came to saving faith. Not to bend, not to break. Because the one who knew it was his hour faithfully went to the cross for us. And it's everywhere. This kind of preparation by Jesus. Getting them ready, not just for life without them for these days. They are about to be gutted. They are about to be scattered. They are all about to leave Jesus and carry that guilt. It's not just Peter. All of them forsake and run. All of that's to be out. So he's giving them a word for, for then, but I'll talk about it in a minute. He also is giving them a word for after his ascension uh, into heaven. But you see this preparation throughout his ministry. He knows, as we said last week, Matthew 26, my time is at hand. And then he begins to teach. And we'll talk about teaching in a couple weeks. Matthew 21, Matthew 23, Matthew 26, about the shepherd being cut down. He talks about the son of the master of the house being killed. All these allusions to himself. And then as he's baking his, even before Holy Week, three different times before he even gets to Holy Week, he said, son of man is going to be killed. He's preparing them for that. We already talked about John 12. You got John 11 where he talks about that with Lazarus. It's no surprise. He is on the edge of his hour and he's preparing his disciples for that. And they just don't, they don't get it. Over and over and over and over, I wouldn't have gotten it either. You wouldn't have gotten it. And I'm, I'm not picking on anybody here, but I did see one other reel this week. And it's when President Trump had just received word of uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg's death. And his comment was, uh, I've never, I had not heard that yet. This is the first I'm hearing of that. Maybe you've seen that video. But they put the video to a wife 
telling her husband, this is the 15th time I've told you. We're going out to eat Sunday with my parents, and I need you there. And then it shows the husband as President Trump. This is the first I'm hearing of it. I've never heard it, you know. Any guys want to own that today? We just, over and over, Jesus has been trying to get them ready for what's about to happen to him, but also what, this is the, the beauty of, and the love of our Savior. Not just him, what's going to happen to him, but that the Spirit will be there with them. And you just keep reading 14, and there it is. But my Father will send another. I won't leave you or forsake you. Um, I won't leave you as orphans, he says. So Jesus is playing not just the, the, the short game, but he's playing the long game here. He's pre- preparing them for when he leaves. He's preparing them for the coming of the Spirit. He's preparing them for the kingdom work they'll do. He's preparing them for, if you look at the teachings, we'll do that in a couple weeks, all these end times, that once I'm gone and all these things look like it's lost, I already know ahead of time these things are going to happen. And he's also preparing them for suffering. This world will, if it hated me, it's going to hate you. He's preparing them for all of that. So they shouldn't be surprised by anything that happens. They can have full confidence that Jesus knew it was his hour. He intentionally laid down his life. And all the things that happened, they're prepared in their hearts, they're prepared in their minds, because Jesus has been intentional and given them that word. He even gets to the point in John 16 where he says, I have many more things to say to you, but you can't even bear them at this present time. So I'm sure he unloaded them with that later between Acts 1-8 and, and, his, and his resurrection. Jesus is always looking for those teachable moments with these men and for those who followed him um, to teach them how to pray. Corey will look at that next week, to, to how to receive grace, how to receive truth. And it's a good word, a good word for us. How is it we can take up that ministry? Is there any way we need to sharpen that ministry as a church? Corey, um, a couple weeks ago at D Now, I think they played Black Light Pickleball. That was awesome. Pictures of that. This past summer, I think you had a foam party outside. I didn't appreciate it because I got covered in it. They, uh, it was the great joy of the children. Some of your children need to repent. Uh, <laughs> it's awesome. And I think, I think, I think a church auto model fun. A church auto model fellowship for this culture that's reaching and grasping for the next thing and just show the authentic love and fun we have together. But the reason we do things like glow-in-the-dark pickleball or foam parties is because we're taking seriously the call to prepare the next generation. We exist as a church to build faithful disciples who serve Jesus Christ. It's always who's not just about us, but we give, we pray, we serve, we, we stretch because we're called to prepare uh, the next generation. How is it in this season of self-examination, how is it you need to commit yourself more fully to that? To see that kingdom work for yourself and say, through my church family or in my neighborhood or in my, in, in my, in my community or mentoring somebody at work or uh, maybe an extended family member, I'm going to commit to preparing the next generation. How is it we can get sharper at home? I don't know about you, but that's always a sense of, 
wait, how, how did, did I fail you there? Did I miss something there? And as a church, we want to come alongside you and continue to help you to do that with your children, your grandchildren, your nieces, your nephews. Um, I think y'all are having a training event in April uh, where Corey and Renee have been going around in the past and they're restarting talking with parents about how, what's a, how is it you can best uh, bless your children and, and, and guard their lives. We, we've got devotionals and Bibles that, that are age appropriate, so many activities that they can be a part of, whether it's Sunday school uh, or, or special events, um, kids' catechisms. I have copies of those. Everybody who's in our church has an account, if you want it, with Right Now Media for Christian music and Christian uh, programming. How is it? We can be more intentional and careful in how we share the story. Because I'm going to say, I say this now as a pastor who's been in ministry for decades. Sometimes I see the other end of it where we've not done a good job as parents or grandparents preparing our kids for when we're not there. And I have too often lived in the chaos of that because we just couldn't bring ourselves to talk about our faith with our children or our friends or talk about what our plans are going to be. And I just can't, I, I just want to beg you as a pastoral note, put scripture aside for two seconds, to have those conversations so you can be intentional about. I want you to be clear, this is my faith. I want you to be clear uh, that these are my plans and these are my hopes. That can be difficult to do, but I've just seen the horror and the pain of the chaos when that doesn't happen. But it's a great, matter of fact, I, I know I talk about Dr. Joe a lot, but he died almost exactly a year ago. Uh, but my father-in-law was so clear about it. And I, I may have shared this once before, uh, but when he set up his inheritance, he set it up in fourths. Well, he's only got three kids. I, maybe he was a liberal arts major. Maybe he doesn't understand math. He set it up in fourths. This child, this child, this child, and world missions. I will never stop being a part of kingdom work. Matter of fact, if you looked at his statements for this year, he gave a crazy, in his death, he gave a crazy amount to world missions. This is my heart. I want my kids to know this is who I am. I love y'all. I had a bishop one time tell me, it's, maybe it's important for some of us to even think about that for our church or a mission organization with, with how you plan your estate. Just a, a small, small, not 25%, but a, a percentage. And I had Bishop Swanson, I remember one time, says, if, if your children can't live off of 98 or 95% of your estate, they don't need any percent of your estate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Y'all, and listen, we had a finance committee this past week. Y'all have been amazing in your faithfulness to this church. We've been able to ramp up our giving in missions because of this. We've seen incredible growth in our student ministries, our kids' ministries. We're trying to expand older adult ministries. We're bringing on additional staff, and we can do that because of your faithfulness. And we, we're looking back over 2023. It's just incredible. But we've got to keep, as somebody on the finance committee said this, we've got to keep our foot in the gas. The Lord continues to open doors for us, and we've got to go. We've got to go. Uh, so anyway, I just want to share that word uh, this morning as a pastor to say a word of thank you. But also, is there some planning you need to do? So you can be clear with your church. You can be clear with a ministry. You can be clear with your kids to have those conversations now. 
And Jesus does that so well. He's preparing them for the just, again, they're about to be gutted. They're just about to be torn up. He's preparing them for now, but he's also preparing them for the long game. How is it with your, for those of us who have small kids or teenage kids or adult kids, how can we continue to sharpen? Our staff would love to talk with you about that. Sharpen how it is that I can continue to be intentional, how I can find those teachable moments so I can look for those divine appointments where I can be clear about faith and pass on faith. It's a beautiful picture we get of Jesus here, of watching him do it for these who he loved, John 13, he loved them to the end. He knew it was his hour and he poured into them. Lent is a difficult season of self-examination and repentance. As we think about, and Lori had these words in our, in our second hymn today, it's in our choir anthem today. We look at our lives and we say, what a wretch I am. Can we have that confidence as Thomas did to just bring whatever questions we have to the Lord? Whatever shame we may feel or inadequacy, just press through and come to Jesus with, with whatever you have. How is it you need to be a friend like Thomas was to Jesus and say, let's go? How, who and how do you need to encourage? Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, if you don't know him, we'd love to pray with you about that today because it's through him you can come to the Father. It's through him that at death there is a room that Jesus has prepared for you. What about your life? How is it you need to be more intentional about passing on your faith, whether it's at home, at work, in friendships, extended family? The closing hymn is 351, My Faith Looks Up to Thee. Let's